This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. The Fable and Folly Network supports creators of exceptional audio stories, including the one you're listening to right now. If you love our shows, we want to hear from you. Complete our listener survey at fableandfolly.com survey. This will help us learn more about you, what you like, what you'd like to hear more of, and how we can maintain an inclusive, safe atmosphere. As a thank you for your participation, we have extras and behind-the-scenes content from your favorite shows. Fans make the network what it is. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear from you. Find our listener survey at fableandfolly.com survey today. I'm Tanya Thompson, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written by Black writers all over the world. This week, we're featuring a story that I wrote. I love werewolves and other supernatural creatures, and I love old-time radio. I really wanted to do a modern take on Sorry, Wrong Number, where a woman overhears a group of men plotting her murder over a party line, and the operator doesn't believe her pleas for help. This started out as a story written only as text messages, but eventually evolved into what you'll hear today. I hope you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by the Nightlight Legion. Special thanks to our newest patrons, Kathleen and Sheila. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks to McGregor, who took the time to support us via PayPal. Thanks for your contribution. Nightlight is 100% listener-supported, so we need your help to keep bringing you new episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy Sorry, Wrong Number by me, Tanya Thompson, narrated by Dominic Rabern. Sorry, Wrong Number Flick The flame erupts from the lighter and I gaze into it conjuring an image of my future. Ding. Are you awake? A text from a number I don't recognize, but that's not unusual in my line of work. I consider ignoring it, but things have been slow for a few weeks now, and the boss is on my ass. Yup. I type back. A bubble with three little dots dance, while hopefully a honey types a reply. I stare at the phone, willing the message to come through, but whoever it is must be writing a novel or something. Need your help. Can't talk. Come over? It's an odd thing for a client to say, but some of them have a spouse or a partner who read their text messages, so some of the texts I get are pretty creative. There's also the possibility it's just somebody with the wrong number, but I decide to be optimistic even if it is, maybe I can turn it into a gig. I need more information before I commit, but I don't want to fuck it up by asking for a name. If it is a lady feeling lonely, she's going to freak if I ask her that. 
that is women 101 don't ever ask them their name first why what's up i ask instead more dots my eyes stay locked on the phone ready for a response please let her say i'm lonely or some shit like that again it takes forever for her to finish typing if this is a chick she doesn't seem as text savvy as my dates usually are i usually struggle to keep up with them but now i can kind of see why they'd get so mad waiting for me to type something out knowing someone is on the other end crafting a response but not sending it is nerve-wracking ding finally i can't talk in trouble need help how did it take her what was probably like two minutes to write that out i'm starting to get worried she's either old as hell or slow but not worried enough to ignore her a man's gotta work she's probably on the side of the road with a flat tire or something I change her tire, follow her home to make sure she gets there safe and sound, and she invites me in there for a drink. I'm getting hard just thinking about it. Tell me what you need, I say out loud as I type out the letters with my thumbs. Women love my hands. Calloused from the manual aspect of my work, but I don't have that ragged, aged look some laborers have. I'm almost 350 years old, but I look like I'm in my mid-twenties. I don't correct the co-eds when they assume I'm in college. My major is undecided, and I don't know when I'm going to graduate because my mom is real sick are my go-to phrases. It's not really a lie. I started college but didn't finish. I've thought about finishing one day just to say I have a degree, but the campuses are too crowded and it'd be difficult to find a client, no matter how many girls gone wild might be in there with me. And my mom is sick, kind of. Cursed, really. She always has been, though. She probably wouldn't approve of me using her misfortune for sympathy. Hell. She doesn't even mention it to doctors unless she has to, but what she doesn't know won't hurt her. That's why I don't tell her what I really do for a living. She'd only blame herself. The bubble appears again and I lick my lips. Something tells me it's a woman on the other end. I've gotten pretty good at determining gender with just a few typed words. You have to in my line of work, or you end up wasting too much time. Besides, how many dudes will say the words, I need your help, followed by, come over, especially to another guy? I stare, unblinking, waiting for the response. Why is she so slow? I'm going to turn into one of those skeleton memes before I find what's up. Two minutes tick by and the little dots are still chasing each other, so I get up to take a piss. When I come back, there are no dots. There is no message. Except for mine, staring back at me. I think for a minute, this girl might be in real trouble. She's taking too long to type. Maybe she's drunk and needs a ride home? That's even better than a flat tire. <laughs>
The bubble resurfaces, and the message quickly follows. Come get me, it says. Is it a question or a demand? Doesn't matter. I still don't know who she is or where she lives. What's your address? I reply. At this point, I'm almost as curious as I am turned on. If she turns out to be a paper bag special, I'll just get wasted first. But if she's gorgeous, I can fix this little dry spell and get back in the good graces with the boss. No dots. Silence. Has she realized that I don't know who she is? Or does she know she shouldn't trust me? I stare at the phone, saying, Come on, come on, come on. Like a prayer. The prayer becomes a chant, and I feel like I should be lighting a candle or something. Isn't that what humans do when they want to cast a spell and make something happen? I set the phone on the coffee table and pull a cigarette from the pack that's been calling my name for the last 30 minutes. I try not to smoke before I go visit a girl. Some of them don't like the smell, but this one seems desperate enough that she won't care. And it's not like it'll kill me. I slide the lighter toward me and flick my thumb across it, sparking that beautiful blue flame. Ding. I let the tiny fire die. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an address. Be there in 20, I type back. It's 10 minutes away, but I'll need another 10 to prep my supplies. I think for a moment that this is too good to be true. That prey falling into my lap like this is a once a decade kind of luck. I wonder what's wrong with her, who she thinks I am. It doesn't matter what she thinks. I'll handle it when the time comes. I grab my pack, make sure it's stocked so the boss doesn't dig in my ass about not following protocol, and head out. I leave the lights on. I, better than most, know what can wait for you in the dark. I get in my car and tap the address into the navigation. I know how to get there, but I can't give her any hint that something isn't right. This is the moment where it all too often falls apart and I end up with a demerit in my employee file. So, navigation. I crank up my music, metal of course, and speed onto the highway. A couple of miles down, I take an exit and congratulate myself on the purchase of my house. Centrally located, near a freeway, easy access to most of the city. Enough prey that most of them aren't missed, but not so many that there are witnesses. The one inconspicuous thing I own is the car, but it's more a necessity than a splurge. Women don't get in the car with strange men in beat-up cars. Roll up in a pricey car and they assume you aren't a bad guy, or at least not a violent guy. It's usually the opposite, but the misconception works in my favor, and no one lives to tell my secret, so it's not a liability. I pull up to the address, an old, run-down shopping center. Quiet, off the main road, lights not maintained. Perfect for those like me, 
I see her standing there in the shadows and realize why she has no problem meeting a strange man. She looks like she's got a few marbles missing. Dressed in an oversized sweatshirt and leggings, her dark hair obscures her face, but I can catch a glimpse of her lips moving. She's mumbling to herself, wringing her hands and pacing back and forth. She's anxious, but her anxiety isn't the sane kind, or at least what normally passes for a sane. She looks like she knows about the things that wait in the dark, things like me, constantly paranoid but told by everyone around her that there's no such thing. I've only had two clients that knew. They're my favorites. Were my favorites. If I do my job right, I don't get any repeat business or word of mouth. When she spots my car, she looks back down. I didn't tell her what I'd be driving. No point in risking her running before I even see her. She continues her pacing, her mumbling, punctuated with yelling of random words, and doesn't look up until the car stops. She peers into the windshield, then her face lights up. She knows me. Or at least, she thinks she does. She runs around to the passenger side door and flings it open and plops into the seat folding her long legs up, not bothering to look at me again. It's probably a good thing because I can't quite hide the glee on my face from her not giving me any shit about not being who she thought I was or deciding texting some rando was a bad idea and it's time to back out. My period of abstinence has been rewarded. A young, pretty, but not quite all there girl that no one will miss. I always hate the dry season, but it's necessary. It's always slow when things start up again, but this time, it might start with a bang. No pun intended. She reaches down into her bra like she's digging for gold and produces a wrinkled up piece of paper. She hands it to me without saying a word. I smooth out the paper to find a receipt. I study it, trying to figure out why she gave it to me when she huffs snatches it from my hand and flips it over, putting her hand over it with an amazing amount of force. Sorry, I say. She's already pissed and we haven't even moved yet. I need to set her at ease. So you want to go here? I ask. She nods her head twice, again without bothering to make eye contact. Her profile is perfect. The slope of her nose... The way the street lights make her dark skin look like it's glowing. She'll be beautiful. I'm sure of it. I want to ask more questions, but she's obviously a bit volatile, so I hold my tongue for the first couple of miles. She never bothers to look my way, instead opting to keep her eyes focused on the road ahead. I hadn't noticed it before, but she wasn't sitting all the way back in the seat. When she finally relaxes back and settles in, I realize now is my opportunity to figure out what the hell this girl is thinking. I also need to figure out her name in case she does challenge me. She thinks she knows me, for now at least, but I don't trust that she'll always believe that. I need information. Information that will convince her that even if she doesn't remember me, 
I know her. How have you been? I start. She shrugs. Rough week? I say to prompt her. But she just shrugs again. Never in my unnaturally long life have I ever encountered a woman who is less fond of speaking than this one. I decide to stay quiet for a while. She's not ready to talk. That's okay. I can deal with that. My nav tells me to make the last turn before my destination. I oblige and see exactly where she's taken us. A cemetery. I look at the checkered flag, then back at the road. Surely this isn't where she meant to send us. After all, she's a bit disconnected, shall we say. There's a good chance she just wrote down a random address and it just happened to lead us here. But I dare not question her. Instead, I say, we're here. I thought she'd look at the window and be confused, but instead she looks like we time-traveled. I see the corners of her lips pull up into a smile, revealing a dimple and she opens the door, hops out and closes it before I can even figure out why the hell she'd want to come here. Why she texts someone to drive her here. She takes off running and I have no choice but to run after her. I thought this would be an easy job, but despite her being more compliant, she'll be more challenging if only because I can't predict what she's going to do. Hell, I don't think she even can predict what she's going to do. I jog after her as she weaves between headstones, hopping over the flat ones, launching herself over some of the smaller ones. It's like she thinks she's on a playground. For all I know, she could be seeing monkey bars and slides. Just when I think she's about to hop on another grave marker, she stops short and spins to face me. I barely stop in time and have to grab her shoulders to keep from knocking her down. She giggles and tilts her head down like she's embarrassed. It's much better than the alternative. I was almost sure she was going to slap me or something. I rub her arm gently, taking advantage of the moment to build a little intimacy. She looks up at me and for the first time I see her eyes, big and brown. They're beautiful, but almost familiar. She smiles, making the dimple reappear, but there's only one. I still have my hands on her shoulders and I'm questioning whether or not I should move in for a kiss, speed things along, but then I decide I don't want to risk it. She looks down, shy again, I think, but then a tear plops onto my arm. She backs away from me suddenly like she's going to fold in on herself, hands up to her face and she's breathing like there isn't enough oxygen, breath whistling between her hands, squeezing down her throat, rattling in her chest, then back out again, her hands shaking despite her best efforts to calm them. She removes her hands from her face and stares at them like she wants to cut them off, like they betrayed her, like they are no longer part of her but decides to shove them under her armpits. Satisfied that her hands are back under her control, she looks up at me through those long, gorgeous lashes stuck together by her tears. 
but she doesn't look shy or in need of comfort anymore. She looks like me. A monster, but she's all fur and fangs instead of sweet, sun-kissed skin. Her face hardens between her mane of hair, her shoulders square up, then her hands slide back, revealing the claws that have replaced her chipped, gnawed-down nails. I can't tell if she knows her hands aren't hands anymore. I seem to be the only thing left in her world. Her eyes move from brown to gold, then back, like fire, dancing right down to her soul. I don't move. Somehow, I know she's waiting for me to say something, do something. I don't know who she is or what she wants, but I've lived long enough to know when I've lost the upper hand. I also know that forcing the opponent to make a choice is the best way of getting back on top. Her lips curl into a grin, if you could call it that. Fangs poke her bottom lip. Her tongue darts out ever so briefly, tasting the air around her. She inhales as if she can breathe in the spirits of the cemetery and command them. You are afraid, she says. It's not a question. It's a statement, and she's not wrong, but I'll never tell. No, just confused, I say. I want to add more, but I remind myself I'm trying to get control of the situation. Instead, I stare, taking in as many clues as possible to figure out what she's doing. She takes a step toward me, but I keep my feet planted. There are very few things in this world that can kill me. She is not one of them. She is beneath us. A kill is a kill, I think, but in a flash, the thought is gone. Killing her could invite all kinds of trouble. I'll be better off just getting away from her. I am a god in this world. She is only a beast. It's no contest, really. And she realizes it. Back to having the upper hand. I take a step toward her. She stiffens, but stands her ground. I can see her foot twitching, though. She wants to step back, and that's good enough for me. You are afraid, I say. Not a question. A statement. She smiles that wicked smile, bears her fangs in a silent threat. I'm surprised she hasn't turned fully. To have such control when you're afraid... She's practiced at this. She extends one clawed finger toward me, an accusation, then flips her hand over and beckons me to come to her. I don't move. Oh, come on, she says in a sing-song voice. I won't bite you. She snort laughs at her own joke, and that annoying grin stays fixed on her face. I charge toward her, hands up, ready to snap her stupid little neck. It won't kill her, probably, but it'll end this. She's wasted enough of my time. Before I can reach her, she collapses into a pile of fur and darts behind me. I turn around, reach low, only to see she's human again. You can't kill me, I say. We're both monsters, so there's no point in being shy about it. Sweetheart. She clicks her tongue. That's not the plan. A smile stretches around her dog-like face. Then she cocks her head to the side, 
and for the first time, I can see that the crazy act wasn't really an act. Then what is the plan? Her fangs retreat and the fur falls away. Do I look familiar? She asks. She bats her eyes in mock flirtation, and that's when I see it. A client that looked just like her, slightly younger, her dead eyes staring at me into nothing. One of my favorites, but the job had failed. My blood rejected hers violently. I couldn't work for a week after her, and now I know why. So do you remember? She asks, and I can hear the grief in her voice. I lick my lips and step toward her. I've never done sisters before, but it looks like I've been blessed with another once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. She was a tasty little... And then everything goes black. I wake up with no sense of how much time has passed. I try to sit up, but hit my head on something hard. I reach up to feel for what I hit my head on, but my hand hits something right in front of my face. I'm in a box, a coffin to be exact. I reach down into my pocket, find my lighter. I've been buried alive before. Despite devotion to the gods in the old times, when humanity encountered one of us, we were burned, hanged, and buried as witches, staked through the heart. It was annoying as shit, but now that enough time has passed, I think it's kind of funny. Humans, killing in the name of a god, an actual god that walks among them. I finally find the lighter. Click, click. It doesn't want a light, probably because the oxygen is low. Judging by the absence of light and sound, I'm beneath the ground somewhere. I hope she put me in one of those pine boxes. The new caskets are a pain in the ass to bust out of. The lighter finally catches and I get some light. But it doesn't bring hope. I'm in a pine box alright, except this one is lined with the one thing in this world I have no power over. My own blood. Used to scrawl ancient markings, wards that I thought were long forgotten. I close my eyes. Hope that I'm hallucinating, but I'm not. I open them and look this side to see more of them. On the other side, at my feet, beneath me, all around me, spelled on all sides. Nothing natural or supernatural will ever be able to open this box. Including me. I release the wheel on the lighter and let the flame die. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new episodes every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com slash nightlightpod and supporting this podcast. You can also make a donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash nightlightpodcast. 
If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter or Instagram at NightlightPod or like us on Facebook. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by me, Tanya Thompson. You can find me online at mystifying or at tanyathompson.com. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. Numerous people have been buried alive over the centuries, but one of the more disturbing cases happened in 1884. A young woman named Anna Hawkwalt collapsed at her brother's wedding. A doctor was called, and when he arrived, he pronounced her dead, despite her friend's protests that her ears were still pink and that she could still be alive. She was known to have suffered from heart palpitations and nerves, an antiquated term for anxiety. But Anna was still buried the next day. Her friends told her parents of their belief that Anna was not, in fact, dead, and finally they decided to dig her back up. Anna was found on her side, with her fingers gnawed nearly to the bone. She had torn out her hair in handfuls. Luckily, we now embalm most people in the United States, so being buried alive is nearly impossible, but that hasn't stopped a few unlucky, or lucky, folks from waking up on the morgue table. In fact, one woman was revived when the pathologist began to cut her open. She sat up and grabbed him by the throat. The pathologist? Well, he died of a heart attack. We'll see you next time. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.